we're doing a series on honoring the Holy Spirit in our midst. So I want to continue on that theme this morning. You know, one of the things in my life that has marked me the most deeply in my walk with the Lord is actually raising children. If you don't know us, we have seven children. And it was terrifying for me. We had two and I said, we're good. And we said, we're good. And the Lord said, you're not good. Um, So we had seven and I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a, a materialistic home. I knew what to do about that stuff, but I didn't know how to raise up children to be disciples of Jesus. And honestly, I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. I would go to different conferences. I went to Promise Keepers events, if you remember that, if you're old school. And I would come home and Diane would say to me, honey, did did you learn some things that will be helpful for our family? I said, no, I don't. I can't. They give me eight things. I can't even do one of them. I don't even know what I'm doing. And that's how I felt. And I just kept seeking the Lord. And he probably, in his immense patience, he was good. But he heard me crying and whining a lot and saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how many times I prayed that. It's a lot. And finally, he imparted something to me. You know, I'm careful in saying the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a sense because I know that sometimes that's thrown around glibly. But he literally stamped this inside of me and it changed my whole life. And here's what it was. I feel like he said to me, If you will create an atmosphere in your home where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell, then I will do in your children what you can never do. And I was like, I know one thing. It's all about the atmosphere. It's about the atmosphere we create. And so we begin to look at things in our home in that light, is this pleasing to the Holy Spirit? Because we are desperate. We pray and we want him to reveal himself to our kids, don't we, parents? We want him to reveal himself to our kids. Only the Holy Spirit can make Jesus real in somebody's life. We knew that. We could have tried to railroad them down the praying the sinner's prayer thing 50 times and all that. And I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. But for me, in my heart, I'm like, God, I want you to reveal yourself to my children, make yourself real, and grip their heart to where they'll never, ever even think about straying from you. It's so compelling. And I will tell you that over the years, we definitely didn't do things perfectly, but we were conscious of the atmosphere, and the Holy Spirit did exactly what he told me that he would do. And all seven of my children are Jesus lovers and Jesus followers and are raising their children to, ra- to follow him. Y'all, it's, it's not to our praise. It's to the praise of him. And if we give him more freedom and invite him in to take up more of the space, then he will do things that blow our minds. I remember so many times our kids coming to us and saying, I just need to tell you, I did this and that wrong, and there's no way that we can know. They they repent without getting, the the Holy Spirit does that. Or it's so precious to me thinking about the times when our children come to us just crying a lot of times and saying, 
I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to get baptized. When can I get baptized? I mean, that, and we're like, yes! We didn't coerce them and say, say, say this after me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I just wanted the Lord to grip them and win them like he did me. And he was faithful to do that. And I want to say that the atmosphere is all important, not just in homes, but in our body here. The way that we interact, the things that we do matter. Whether we are inviting and sending a message, Holy Spirit, we treasure you. We want you. We need you here in our midst in greater measure. I don't know about you. I've just, I'm in a season right now where I'm just longing There's just an ache inside of me. Lord, we need so much more of your presence. I need you. And I read this quote and it resonated with me from Charles Spurgeon, great preacher. Y'all, if you've ever read some of his stuff, it's insane how well he could talk. And he could just get up there without notes and talk for an hour and a half and it was amazing. Anyway, that's not my gift. I got notes. He said, He's telling his, his church leaders, you all get up plans and say, now if the church were altered a little bit, it would go better. You think if there were different ministers or different church order or something different, then all would be well. No, dear friends. It's not there the mistake lies. It's that we need more of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's what we need. We need more of his presence. Not that he's not present everywhere, but there's a concentration and there's working of his presence that we can either invite or quench. And it's all important. You, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we fight against in our culture, I think that's a hindrance to us, is that we're so individualistic in how we view things and we, we compartmentalize our Christianity in that way too. Is it just me and Jesus? We got a thing going on and there's, you know, 200 of us and we all have our thing going on with Jesus. And and the, the New Testament does not talk like that. It says that we're all living stones being built together into a holy temple that God is going to make his permanent dwelling in. Well, the point there is pretty obvious. We have to work together at this. We have to get glued together so that we can be that temple that he comes and takes a permanent residence. I long for that. I long for that. There's an aching inside of me and a longing for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to talk about the atmosphere in Jesus' house this morning. Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to read verses 9 through 20. Revelation 1, verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. How many know there is tribulation in Jesus? It's in him. There's kingdom in him. There's perseverance in him. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, 
write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I want to talk some about the lampstands. It's so important and so significant. And in the middle, notice that. He's in the middle. He's in the center of the lampstands. I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him... Even though on earth I used to lay my head upon his breast, his chest, and talk to him as a close personal friend, but when I saw him glorified, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, therefore... Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the, um, the, seven, lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands... In the symbolism of the book of Revelation, it's good to have things explained to you in the book of Revelation as far as the symbolism, or you can get off the rails pretty quick in your own head. The churches, each church of the seven cities that he named there are an individual lampstand. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 9 that talks about the lampstand in the tabernacle. And so there's, we call it, the Jewish name for it is a menorah, right? There's, there's seven stems. There's one central one, and then there's three on each side, and they're burning. And the priest was tasked with keeping the oil full on the bowls that fed each of the stems so that they would keep burning and keeping the wicks clean so that they would keep burning brightly. So, so there's, there's two things. The, the church is the lampstand. But we have to all burn together for it to work. Say that again. The the church is the lampstand. We are a lampstand. Heart of the Father is a lampstand. The Lord is doing something here. His presence by his spirit is here burning, but we all have to burn together in order for him to do what he wants to do and for the light to shine well. The light is supposed to shine and illuminate Jesus to us and to the world outside. And if it's not burning brightly, then there's a problem. Most of the scholars that I read and looked into, commentators on this passage, said that it was a a reference to Zechariah chapter 4. And so I'm going to read that passage 
I believe that it is, and it's powerful. Zechariah chapter 4, if you're familiar, you'll, you'll recognize at least one verse when we get to the end of, of it in verse 6. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 in Zechariah 4. Here's what it says. Zechariah, let me give you a little background. Zechariah is a prophet, and he's prophesying to the children of Israel who went into captivity. The Babylonians captive, captured them, right? Judah was captured by the Babylonians, and they were taken into captivity. They lived in Babylon for years in captivity. Then there arose a king. His name was Cyrus. He was Persian. He conquered the Babylonians, and when he did, God put it in his heart to release the Jewish people to go back and rebuild their temple because the Babylonians had taken everything and destroyed the temple down to the ground. It was just rubble. And so a few of them went back. Cyrus even paid for what they needed for the materials there. But they were struggling. They're trying to rebuild the temple. This is their spiritual identity they're trying to rebuild. And everything was coming against them. The locals there resisted them and made it difficult for them. They got the foundation beginning to be laid, but it sat there dormant for over 15 years and they couldn't do anything else. And they're seriously discouraged. And Zerubbabel is like the mayor of the town and he's charged with rebuilding this thing and he's passionate about it, but they can't get it done and they're super discouraged. And so the Lord says, go Zechariah. Haggai also prophesied to them, but Zechariah comes, go prophesy to them and encourage them. And here's the point. Then the angel, this is verse 1, who was speaking with me, returned and roused me. He woke me up. And as a man who was awakened from his sleep, and he said, what do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps on it, with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. Also, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. And then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered said, and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This, this vision is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What is the point of that? Zerubbabel, you've been trying to do this. You put all your effort into it. Your people have struggled. You've been disappointed. Nothing has happened. But here's the new picture. Not only are you the lamp that's burning with fire, but actually the source of the olive oil is in there with you and your hose is tied up to the source. And the, the life of the oil is going to flow in and that means it's never going to stop burning and this thing that you want to accomplish can only be accomplished by the power of God and you have to stay hooked up and draw on the oil of the olive trees and the source will never dry up and it will never end and it will cause the thing that I have purposed to come to pass and to be fulfilled. The temple will be rebuilt. That's pretty encouraging vision. We are the lampstand of Jesus. He comes in a majestic picture, the son of man from Daniel chapter 11, the ancient of days from Daniel chapter seven, 
And he's also got long robes on which speak of him being the priest. He's the great high priest that's coming. And what is he doing? He's standing in the middle of his lampstands. That's us. We're one of those. And he's looking at the lampstands to see what needs to be done to get them to burn brighter. Jesus is looking at us and he's going, what needs to be done in heart of the Father for there to be brighter light burning and more oil flowing? What needs to be done? Maybe our wicks have gotten full of charcoal and we're not burning good. We're just sputtering. There's things he's looking. When he's coming to the churches, he's, he's coming as a faithful high priest, checking his lampstands to see how they're burning. He makes sure the oil is flowing. He trims the wicks so the flames can burn brightly. And the letters to the seven churches are his assessment of how well the lampstands are burning and shining light on him. What does he see? I want to suggest to you that fires on the lampstand go out for two reasons. One is a lack of sufficient oil. The priest had to constantly be making sure the bowl was full so there was enough oil to flow that all of the stems could burn. And the second one is defective or defiled wicks. In which case, the fire could be suffocated. So, I want to talk a little bit about the atmosphere in Jesus' house. And what things hinder the flow and defile the flame. And what things encourage the flow and a bright, clear burning. Because the reality is, like we we talked about last week, on the day of Pentecost when the promise of the Father came and fire rested upon each one of their heads... It's so powerful that Pentecost came on Pentecost. Because what was Pentecost? The feast of, the feast of, the feast of harvest. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon my people. And this Joel 2 is going to happen. And they're going to speak in languages that they never learned. And people, all the people that are in Jerusalem visiting from all of these different countries are going to hear them speaking in their own language. And the Lord is declaring to them, all of the earth is mine. It was given to me in Psalm 2 where the Lord says, I have given you the nations as your inheritance. And this is how I'm going to get the nations. I'm going to pour my spirit upon my people. And I'm going to declare through them to the nations my word. And I'm going to harvest the nations for myself. But it's going to happen through the lampstands. It's going to happen through the lampstands and our light burning brightly. Again, I want to remind us that we're, we're, not, we're not just individual Christians who are coming together to build ourselves up and to do our own thing. We are a body. We are a lampstand and we have to burn together to accomplish what Jesus has for us and wants us to do. So, I want to look at the first church here. Jesus is looking at his 
um, lampstands. He's, he's, he's observing the lampstands to see if they're burning bright and if they're doing their job. And the Holy Spirit is at the center of everything good that happens. Would, would you agree with that? Everything good that happens in our midst is because the Holy Spirit actually is doing, he's working. And so for us to become everything that the Lord wants us to be, we need to partner with him in every way that we can to be that people that he can flow through, pour oil through, and burn through. Because Christianity is not an individual sport. It is a team effort. It is a family and the atmosphere that we all agree that we're going to build together, just like us with our kids. No, we don't, we don't do that to our brother and sister. We would ask them the question over and over again, does that honor Jesus when you did that? Did that honor Jesus when you hit your brother in the head with a stick? Like, well, well, we're not doing that. We didn't allow them to call each other names or to be ungodly. We watched the things that we let come in on media, entertainment. Why? You're a prude. No, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Only he can win their hearts. And in the same way, as a family in a church, we don't do things because it's legalistic or because this is a thing that, or because somebody's going to think, no. The question is, what does he think? Is this a place where he wants to dwell or is he grieved by it or is he quenched by it? That's the question we have to ask. In the way that we're interacting and what we're doing and the way that we're living Are we actually inviting the Holy Spirit to come and have complete freedom in us, but also in our body? There's something in me that is not okay with people that have struggled with health issues for years and they haven't been healed. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. I long for the Lord to sweep in and to do a clean sweep and all of the broken and all of the depressed and all of the sick and all of the downcast are actually swept into his arms. And they're never the same again. I long for that. We can set up programs and we can do all these things, but the reality is if he doesn't do it, it won't happen. I could teach my kids all of the the lessons of the Bible lessons that we did. We read to them all the time. But the reality is they might just grow up to be educated kids who came out of a Christian home, but they're not. Their hearts are not captive. It's not okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay personally. And there's a longing inside of me because I know there is more is not just a slogan at the heart of the Father. It's the cry of God over his people. There's more. Do you want it? There's more. The fire can burn hotter. There's more supply of oil for crying out loud. The tree, the source is right there with you hooked up to the hose. But I felt like there was, there was a time in my life where the Lord spoke this to me. Don't be content with a drop or a few drops when I have provided an ocean. 
the way that we glorify Jesus' as sacrifice is to actually live and walk in the fullness of what he provided. We can sing about it, but if we live in it, we're demonstrating God is glorious. Look at what he's done with a complete idiot knucklehead. He's, he's declaring to the principalities and powers through us, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, but God loves to take the things which are not and the things which are despised and the things which are weak in order to say, devil, look at this band of losers. I'm going to put my spirit in them and I'm going to subdue and crush your head. It's a cosmic show that's happening. And the Lord is glorifying himself. And he wants to do it through us. And he's saying, just, just take more of the oil. The tree's right there. Just, just take, let more of it flow. Let it burn. Let your wick be trimmed up so that it can burn hot and bright. So that the light can be shined upon Jesus. We want him to be seen. We want him to be glorified. We want his fullness to be magnified in every heart. We want the glory. Imagine the scene that John saw and how compelling the majesty of Jesus is. Y'all, what if we lived in that 10% more than we do now? And how glorious and majestic our king is. What if we lived in light of that, just 10% more than we do now? What difference would that make in the way that we talked, in the way that we lived, in the way that we prayed? Sorry, y'all. I yell sometimes. And so... Jesus is looking at his lampstands. He's going, what's going on with my lampstands? That's, that's the whole point of this. He's in the middle. He's standing in the middle of his lampstands and he's examining them as the high priest. What's going on with, with the oil? What's going on with the light? And so, if he, uh, Revelation chapter two, I'm gonna read the first um, letter to the church at Ephesus. And I just wanna make some observations because this has struck me um, pretty deeply recently. And then we can talk about, I, I really want to talk about the atmosphere in general. How, how can we, as individual believers who love Jesus, and we have our own thing going on with him, we, we get that. But how can we partner together and become the family that creates an atmosphere? Where God goes, I'm coming. That's where I want to be. That's what I'm talking about. How can we do that? that? That's my heart. And so Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7, we'll read this letter to the church at Ephesus, and I want to make some comments that have gripped me. Um, he's convicted me a lot over these things over the years, especially, and just reminded me recently about this and how important this is. We're talking about the atmosphere. Every one of these letters, in every one of these seven letters, 
which represent all of Christianity, because at the end of every letter, he says, let him who has an ear, what? Hear what the Spirit is saying, present tense, to the churches. He's saying these things now. He's always saying these things to the churches. Because he wants to have his lampstands, blazing, shining light everywhere. This is our witness to the world. This is our invitation to his presence in our midst to do all of the things that he desires to. It's hugely important. And I, I want to ask you, I want to ask every person, help us to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell, where we don't grieve him and we don't quench him with our attitudes and with our actions, but that we invite him and we treasure him. The Holy Spirit must be treasured in our midst. We can get along okay and we can be saved and we can struggle through and have our life look like a stock market graph, but I don't think that that's his best. Help us build an atmosphere. Revelation 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. Ephesus was the most important of the seven cities. That's why it's first. And I think it's, it's important, the things that he says to Ephesus, why it's first on the list, because this is a big deal. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I'm checking you guys out to see what my investment in you is yielding. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. What do you think of that commendation? But, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. There's something that's hindering the flame there. You guys outwardly look like you're diligent. they're, They're super hard workers. They're super passionate for the truth. They're super passionate to expose what's false, right? But you've you've left your first love. And you know, there's lots of debate. Well, is it first love for God or is it first love for people? It's both. You can't separate them. You can't say, I love God, whom I haven't seen, but you don't love your brother who you see. The Bible says you can't separate them. You can't do it. They're, they're Siamese twins. And they go together. And Lone Ranger, Christianity is deception. I said that. It's deception. Because you can't rightly love God without loving the family that he's gathered around you. You can't do it. It's impossible. But you can deceive yourself and go, I'm the most spiritual thing on the block. I watch 12 YouTube videos a day. And he's going, I called you to love. And love means you have to get down in the nitty gritty 
and you have to get chafed and rubbed because there's lots of stuff on Lone Ranger Christians. I know. I've been there. There's lots of edges that are just offensive to the Lord. So many things I look back, I'm so ashamed and embarrassed about seasons of my life, and I thought that I was on it. Y'all, I was. Fire, come on. And the Lord was like. That's real. I'm embarrassed. But I'm, I'm so grateful. Here's the reality. First love is talking about our love for God and each other. You can't separate them. They're both what he's, they're both what they fell behind. Now notice, I want you to notice the phrases that they, that Jesus used. And he's not saying them as a put down. But, but just listen to the emphasis of their heart attitude. You cannot tolerate evil men. You put them to the test. You found them to be false. You hate the deeds. You're strong in truth, but you suck at love. And you know what? This is the only church where Jesus said, if you don't repent, I'm taking your lampstand. Why take the lampstand? Why have a lampstand if it doesn't have fire on it? You, you don't have fire anymore. If you lose your love and you're not passionate about your love, first love means passionate love, right? For God, but also for people. People can wear us out. God is really good because he's perfect. So he doesn't chafe us so much. He might chafe us some, but people chafe us. And that's what love is. We know love by this. Because it feels so darn good. No. We know love by this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for one another. Oh, that doesn't feel good. I know, but it is good, and it makes the flame burn hot. Sorry, y'all. It's coming out like sunspots. Boom. Think about those phrases. They, I believe that what happened here is they became, and, and I'm a truth guy. I'm a lover of the word of God, and it chafes me when people abuse the scripture. I, I'll be honest with you. And I've been here. It's so easy to become cynical and to be fault-finding and to be petty, and that's wrong, and this is wrong, and that, look, they're wrong. We're going to call them out. We're going to go out there heresy hunting. So easy to do that because you think you're the great truth carrier and that you see and know all things. But the thing that we don't know and see, which is the very thing that God tells us the reason why we can't judge our brother is because we don't know the heart. Only he knows the heart. And for us to think we do know the heart is presumptuous and is evil. How's that preach? Not too good. It's out there. I want to point your attention to this, that deep and genuine love is the oxygen that the flame must have to burn. 
We can have spiritual gifts and manifestations, which we want more. Are you with me? We, we want more. But without love, it'll go out. Or, or they'll do damage because if love isn't the motivation, we see this in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Paul interrupts his whole teaching on spiritual gifts and sandwiches right in the middle of it if you're not doing it from love to seriously build up your brother. It's all going to be like a tinkling brass. Crashing symbol. In God's sight, it just becomes irritating. The love that he calls us to is not optional as far as the atmosphere. I, it became clear to me just in pondering this message. You know, the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, right? And the Bible talks about quenching the Spirit in his work. But, but did you ever stop to think about that both of those are tied into a lack of love? Let me, let me read you the verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. You're familiar with these verses. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, how are you going to grieve him? Here we go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Those are all heart attitudes. Or, he's like, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's building us together. He's, he's like, I'm trying to build this temple. And if you guys won't allow me to connect you to each other, I can't build it. You say you want the Lord to come and inhabit this place. But when he gets to building it, you go, no, I don't want to be attached. No, I'm on my own. I feel good by myself. And he's like, which is it? Do, do you want to be part of the permanent habitation that he's building by joining all of the living stones together? Because he's not going to do it on our terms. He's going to do it on his own terms which is we have to be one body and one family joined together. So grieving the Holy Spirit. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That just as is really tough, isn't it? In the same way that God has forgiven us, we, we, we forgive in the same gracious, full-hearted way. It's challenging. This is how he's making us fit to be the habitation of his presence and his dwelling. It doesn't happen apart from love. It's the first thing that Jesus called out when he's examining the lampstands. And then the quenching of the Holy Spirit is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, very short. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Question. Can you despise prophetic utterances without despising the person that's putting them out there? Probably not. Oh, there goes brother so-and-so again. That's what despising means. It means in your heart you go, oh, stop it. That's what it means. Oh, stop it. 
quenching the Holy Spirit happens from a lack of love, just like grieving him does. Because we would rather shut down his operation through an imperfect vessel than have his operation happen through that imperfect vessel. I say it a lot. If, if we want to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit's gifts and moving and power, there's going to be messes to clean up. If you want to have babies in your house, you're going to have diapers. And you're going to clean the diapers. And your kitchen trash is going to stink. But it's okay. Because life is growing. It's okay. It's worth the cost. We want to, in our culture, we want to cut away all of the cost, all of the inconvenience, everything that we don't personally have our own. You know, this is about my opinion and my, what's personally preferable to me. This is my personal. No, 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 no. The question is not what my preferences is, but what do you want, God? What do you want, God? What do you want? So when brother or sister so-and-so speak forth and, or give forth some kind of word, we don't roll our eyes. If it's off the wall, we go, that was courageous of you to do that. What, what were you feeling in your heart when you said that? You, you know what, next time it might be better. So, so by the way, it's, it's real easy to be the armchair quarterback, and I, and I love to do this, and I feel justified um, to do this because if you make $20 million a year, then I can yell at you through the TV screen. You're an idiot! Okay. But we don't do that with God's children. And it's okay that there's going to be chafing and messes. And our first response is to try to separate from that. And God's first inclination probably is for us to go and to do the hard work of love. Because that's what makes the lampstand burn. It is the oxygen that feeds the flame. And our individualism and can I say it this way? I can say this way because I know that I have been this way. And our arrogance actually snuffs out the flame. Then the last part of 1 Thessalonians 5. Examine everything carefully. Yes. Hold fast to that which is to that which is good. So what are you looking for? Not for what's wrong. This happens all the time. I, I do this every time in premarital counseling. Like I put 10 little black dots on a, a white page and I hold it up and I go, what's this? And they always say it's black dots on a white page. And I'm like, well, what percentage of the page is black dots? Oh, less than 1%. Why is it a white page then with black dots on it? Because we fixate on that. And so when things happen in other people, in our midst, our brothers and sisters, our family, we want to fixate on the black dot and go, that was wrong. That's not right. We're gonna... But our default should be to go and say, that was beautiful when you said. The other part, 
Maybe next time you consider saying it this way. It's okay. That's part of what love does. I've heard some prophecies that I believe were came from the Lord, but they were the most awkward thing. But you go, you go down to the nugget of what, what, what is the, the heart message of the Lord saying, I love you and I see you and I care about you. But then there can be a ramble that goes with that that may not be the spirit. It's okay. Look, if you're going to demand that everything be 100% pure, we're all going to be a fail. The Lord doesn't demand that. He demands that our hearts be pure. He demands that we love each other well. And he also demands that when there is need for correction in us, that we can come to each other and that we can bow to it and say, that's you saying that, Lord. I I receive that as correction from my Father who loved me. And if he gave his own son, didn't spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? His heart is for us. In an individualistic society like ours, everything's radical individualism. We have to work really hard at being a lampstand. We do. But the Lord calls this out first of all the churches. Let me read you this quote from a New Testament scholar named George Caird about the Revelation. This is what he said. It's so insightful. The Ephesians had set out to be defenders of the faith. Uh, that's me. Arming themselves with the heroic values of truth and courage. That's, that's me. Only to discover that in the battle, they had lost the one quality without which all others are worthless. Jesus shares their hatred of heresy but he recognizes the appalling danger of a Christianity prompted more by hate than by love. Such a good quote. Y'all, I could have been crucified on that quote right there a lot of times in my life. There was a time when I was in the Lone Ranger stage and I was just fuming about how unfaithful the church was. In my own arrogance... And the Lord in his patience did not kill me. I remember being at the prayer tower. It used to be Carpenter's Home Church. And I was reading Ephesians chapter 5. This is a marking moment in my life. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, he nourishes and cherishes her. No one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And I said out loud to the Lord, you cherish the church? She's a harlot. And he said to me, yes, I cherish my church. And if you will ever speak to her for me, you will cherish her too. And that was about 20 years before I first spoke. (laughs) That's a real thing. In my self-righteous arrogance, I'm the truth guy. I'm not, this is off and this is wrong and that's not okay. And that's, that's, 
And he's like, okay, but your heart, are you cherishing those that I gave my life for or not? Because if you don't, you are not safe to say anything to anybody. That was me. That's one reason my process was so long, because I was so stinking arrogant. And the Lord helped me. And he ground me to powder in a lot of ways, and I will ever praise him for that season. But he changed my outlook and my view. And the reality is right now that I can say with a full heart, I cherish the body of Christ. I love the body of Christ. They aggravate me sometimes. But I love them. And I'm not the kind of guy that hears your story and I cry with you there. But I'm the kind of guy that hears your story and I go home and I lay in bed at night and I cry and say, God, help them. This is not okay. He wants our hearts to love his bride. This is the part of the atmosphere. We don't just tolerate each other. There's a deep love that has to come forth. And we can't do it if we're all going to be lone rangers. We can't do it. It's not possible. He never, look, y'all read, read the letters to the New Testament churches. Everything virtually is talked about in the sense of the community. We have to operate that way. Because we're the lampstand. And we all have to burn together and brightly for us to be what we're supposed to be. For us to shine the light into a dark and crooked generation like the Bible says. And also for his light to shine brightly in our midst so where he is seen clearly and he is glorified and honored rightly. There are other things in the letters. I'm not going to read through all of the letters. I'll just breeze through them. You, you know some of these. These are other things that Jesus called out. I want to say this. Jesus had the right to call out the faults of his bride because he gave his life for her first. If we haven't sacrificed anything for the body of Christ, we don't have any right to say anything. <laughs> that didn't preach good, did it? <laughs> the measure of our authority to bring correction is proportionate to the measure of our sacrifice of love to pour our lives out. That's a real principle in the kingdom. So Jesus called out, <clears throat> compromise with the world. It makes the flame go out. Sexual immorality, it makes the flame go out. Living an image that isn't real, it's the church of Sardis. This is such a thing for us. This is such a thing in social media. <clears throat> we have an image, and this is what Jesus said. You have a name that you're alive, but you're actually dead, and you don't even know it because you have convinced yourself by your own stinking PR that you're all of this, and you're not. 
You're not being honest with the reality of where you are. And so deception is the air that you breathe when that's the case. It's hypocrisy and it's deception. I don't know what the answer is other than to get on our face and say, God, show me what's real about me. Is there anything about you that is true that you don't want other people to know that you hide? That's the question. Are there any circles that you run in where if there was a video of it and your brothers and sisters saw it, that you would be ashamed? These are questions that we should ask. Do I live in an image or do I live in reality and honesty before the Lord? Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he does not deal in deception. He does not speak that language. He speaks truth. And if we want his fullness, we need to love the truth even about ourselves. No, this is not a beat down or self-flagellation or a thrashing session in front of a mirror. That, none of that helps. What does help is to say, God, this is real about me, and I need your power to change it in me because I'm not okay with it. I don't think it rightly represents you. If I have these attitudes, if I have these mindsets, would you come and deal with me and purge me? And it's okay to go to someone else that you trust And to humble yourself and to say, I'm struggling with this. I'm failing in this. Would you please help me? God gives grace to the humble. That's why the Bible says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Transparency is part of healing and you cannot do away with it and think that you'll be healed. I'm not just talking about physical healing now. It's a real thing. Lukewarmness and pride. We all know Laodicea. We're not that kind of person that'll make Jesus vomit. Excuse me. Well, I can tell you that there's been times in my life, many times, where I'm sure the Lord wanted to vomit. It was so arrogant. It's okay to acknowledge that. The problem is we're deceived and we don't see it at the moment, right? This is why we need brothers and sisters to say, you know I love you. I've demonstrated that. But I need to tell you this. And it's so often the voice of the Holy Spirit helping us to become what we pray and cry to be. God, I want to be everything that you want me to be. I remember praying that one night, walking on the golf course where we used to live. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I believe this was his voice now, you're not just kidding, you don't know what you're asking for. (laughs) Okay, well then you know how to do it in right proportion, so. (laughs) Lukewarmness and pride, deception false teaching, all of those things can dampen the wick. But look, the first thing that he goes after is this whole concept of our love for one another. It is the oxygen that the flame thrives in. And a cynical, critical spirit suffocates the flame. It suffocates it. An arrogant, cynical, fault-finding spirit 
suffocates the flame. The Lord wants to do much in our midst. So let me encourage us. Will you, will you partner with us to create an atmosphere that the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell in? So, so that our brothers and sisters and our own lives can be marked and touched and transformed and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in greater measure than we've ever seen. Well, will you help us to create an atmosphere like this? That's the question. I know it's easy to go home. I'm going to go home and I'm going to do my thing and I'm the, I'm the little Lone Ranger and I can take out my hat and I can watch my YouTube videos and I can say, oh man, he preaches way better than Barry. Barry, like Barry not really very good. Um, it, it's, it's okay, but that's not okay. Will, will you help us to build something? It's easy to tear down. It's easy to criticize. It's hard work to build. That's what Zerubbabel was up against. All these naysayers saying, man, it's been 15 years and you ain't got that temple done yet. He's like, come a little closer. Why don't you help build? You, 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 we can either be criticizers and fault finders or we can be builders. And the New Testament talks about building Building, always building. We're building a body when we come together. We're building the body of Christ. That's what we do with our grace and our gifts. Help us do that. There's so much more. I like this verse in Galatians 3 verse 5 says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit, the olive trees, and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Rhetorical question. So our faith plays a role. What do I mean by that? The Father gave his promise. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He released that promise on the day of Pentecost. And he told us, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. You're going to be baptized in my Holy Spirit He's going to fall upon you. He's going to make you witnesses by giving you supernatural ability that you could never have. What if we believe that on a little deeper level? What if, what if we believed in his heart where Jesus said of his father in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you know, if you being evil, which I, I, Jesus, he's so amazing. The word evil there, paneros, the Greek word means, that's the, same, that's the name of the devil. <laughs> that's evil, evil. It's not just bad. In Greek, kakos is bad. That's bad. That's rotten. That's what. But evil is evil. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Believe that. Believe that, believe that, that he wants to increase the measure of the Holy Spirit in your life. Believe his heart. Believe his promise. It's by faith that these things happen. It's not by accident. It's by us connecting with him. And I want to ask you, 
on a practical level, when, when we gather together, it would be hugely helpful. I believe that one of the most important things that we can all do to help to facilitate the kind of atmosphere that the Lord wants for his spirit is that when we come together, we have a mindset that we're coming on assignment to be used by God to bless someone else and to build them up. So in order to do that, okay, can I, can I just be honest? Is it okay? It's too, way too late for that. Water under the bridge. Um, in order to do that, we have to be spiritually ready when we come, right? Can't just roll out of bed and come here and just we're all carnal and have all our fleshly. We, we, we all get that, right? But if we would take a little bit of time to just get before the Lord and just get quiet, get our mind quiet and say, God, today would you use me? Honestly, y'all, when I was first saved, when I first saw the gifts of the Spirit in operation in, in the first church that I ever went to, it was an Assembly of God church, and I said, wow, that's really cool. Gifts of the Spirit operate sometimes. And I felt like the Lord nudged me and go, if you'll ask me and wait on me, I'll do that in you. And so this is, this is the true thing. The very first time that I did that on a Sunday morning where I didn't just roll out of bed and do my thing and I come with my mind all on everything else like bees. And I said, Lord, here I am. I don't know what I'm doing. You know I'm as dumb as a box of rocks. But I want you to use me. So I'm asking you to do that according to your purpose and your will. The first time that I prayed like that and spent a little bit of time before I came in, the Holy Spirit used me. And I think he was making a point of going, see? See? Make yourself available. Come prepared. Come hungry. There's something about spiritual longing and hunger and desire that attracts the presence and the moving of the Holy Spirit. We're not spiritual thrill seekers. We're wanting building to happen. We're not sloshing paint on the walls and going, wasn't that amazing? No, we're building. Something is going to remain in the lives of people. Three times, the church that was the most out of control and off the rails in spiritual gifts was the church of Corinth, without a doubt. And even though Paul had to bring correction to them about their motives, three times... He says to them, don't think that I mean shut this down. I mean you need to come zealous, coveting, desiring spiritual gifts, longing for prophecy because you can build up people. He uses that word three separate times to the people that were already out of control. Why? Because it's easy to put out a fire, but it is stinking hard to start one. And we can... We can keep wildfire from happening. I mean, that's part of our role. Try to be the, the banks to where the flood doesn't come in. But honestly, that's really never happened. It's not that we have so much of a flow of the Holy Spirit that we've got to be worried about it. There's going to be wildfire. I say to myself, wildfire? Do we even have, are we even firing on all seven cylinders? You know what I'm saying? In the church of Corinth, most Bible scholars say there was 50 to 75 people there. And Paul said that they had all of the gifts of the Spirit operating. 
They were taking a number and lining up. No, we, we don't have wildfire. I know that it makes work, and I know that there's diapers to change. But the question is, are we creating an atmosphere? Are we coming ready? Are we coming hungry? Are we coming desirous of him having his way? Because somebody else's freedom might depend upon you coming prepared. So I'm asking I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for you all, will you help us to build the atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell in our midst, where he's not grieved, where he's not quenched, and to do the hard work of love, to come spiritually ready and hungry. Are we, are we willing to, to do that as a family? We're going somewhere. The Lord, I would stake my life on this. There's not many things that I would say like that. I would stake my life on the fact that I believe that God has something amazing that he wants to do in this body. I know it in my nowhere. He wants us to partner with him.